You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning. Got your Bibles there. Please go ahead and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And when I was in university... I received a very uh, upsetting and troubling phone call from my mother uh, one night. And she called to tell me that my father had been in a very serious car accident. He had been uh, driving down the number six highway hill and he was stopped because he was turning left. This is before they had a big concrete barrier in between the, the lanes. And he was stopped. He was turning left. He was waiting for a space to go. And a truck veered over into his lane and hit him head on going about 80 kilometers an hour. He was driving a little minivan, and it it flipped over, and then it rolled, and then it burst into flames. And he had hit his head so hard that he was unconscious. So thankfully, uh, some people stopped. They pulled him out of the car. They called 911, and then he woke up in the hospital with amnesia. He didn't remember the accident, and he did not remember who he was. Now, thankfully, he recovered. But imagine if in that moment, we then put him in the car and drove him to work and dropped him off. How do you think that would have gone? Not well. Because if you're at work and you don't know who you are and you don't know why you're there, then you won't be who you're supposed to be and you won't be doing what you're supposed to do. And and, and I think that, that so many of us, including myself, can kind of live our daily lives like that. Because we open up the word of God and God tells us who we are. And then he, he tells us why we're here. But then we get distracted. And we don't review it. We don't think about it. And so we forget. And then we find ourselves in our daily lives not being who we're supposed to be. And not doing what we're supposed to do. Because we've forgotten who we are. And we've forgotten why we're here. So let's begin with these two questions here this morning. Here's the first one. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you have go-to verses in the Bible where God tells you who you are that you review all the time so that you don't forget? Do you know who you are? Second question, do you know why you're here? Do you have have go-to verses in the Bible where God tells you why you're here that you're reviewing all the time so that you don't forget? Do you know who you are? And do you know why you're here? Well, here's something that we all know, that we're heading into some pretty big changes as a church as of next weekend. And change is just part of life. Things are are always changing around us, but then there are some things that will never, ever change. And two amazing, glorious truths for us that will never change, that we can grab hold of and, and, and be rooted in the midst of change is this, the truth of who we are and the truth of why we are here. And if you and I are going to be the people that God wants us to be, and if we're going to do what God wants us to do, then we need to know, we must know who we are, and we must know why we're here. So let's jump right into that first truth that will always remain the same for us, that we need to be rooted in. Is this up on the screen, the truth about who I am. I must be rooted in the truth about who I am. So get ready. 
Get ready to receive four amazing truths from God for you right now about who you are in Jesus Christ. Four truths to write down, four truths to memorize and to meditate upon and to be transformed by. And here's truth number one, it's this. The truth about who you are, you are a chosen race. Up on the screen, you are a chosen race. Have a look with me now at verse nine. Verse nine. But you, you are a chosen race. And so Peter, he's writing this to believers who are scattered all over an area called Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. And he's writing to them and he's reminding them in chapter two of who they are. And then right now, right here, almost 2,000 years later, God is now speaking to us through this same letter, reminding us of who we are as well. And here's what he's saying, that in Jesus Christ, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. And by using that term chosen race, Peter is actually referring back to the Old Testament and back to Deuteronomy chapter 7 up on the screen. This is God speaking to his people. He says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And by referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, here's what Peter is saying. He's saying that we, as God's new covenant people in Jesus Christ, we have now become God's chosen people, God's chosen race. In fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us that God chose us from before the foundation of the world. And not only has he chosen us, but he has chosen us to be part of something. Look again at verse 9. But you are a chosen race. And so what does Peter mean here by that word race? Well, have a look with me at chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Peter says this. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you and I had nothing at all to do with our physical birth. We had nothing to do with our physical birth, which really makes the whole celebration of birthdays a little bit weird because we are celebrating someone for what? For doing nothing, for being born. If anyone's going to be celebrated on a birthday, who should be celebrated? Probably mom, right? We had nothing to do with our physical birth. In the same way, we had nothing to do with our spiritual birth either. God caused us to be born again, along with millions of others that he has also caused to be born again together to make up a chosen race from every nation and every people group and every ethnicity that he has also caused to be born again. Think about it. Is there any greater blessing that anybody could ever receive than to be chosen by God and then born again by the Spirit? There is no greater blessing, and this is who you are. You are a chosen 
race. And this is the first of four truths about who we are that we need to get into our hearts up on the screen. You are a chosen race. A chosen race. Now here's the second truth about who you are. It's this. You are a royal priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. Look again at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And once again, Peter, what he's doing here by using that term royal priesthood, he's referring back to the Old Testament. But this time he's referring to Exodus chapter 19 up on the screen. Again, God says this to his people. Verse 5, he says, Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And by referring back to to Exodus chapter 19, Peter's saying this. He's saying that for us, us here today, as God's new covenant people in Jesus Christ, we have now become a kingdom of priests. We have become a royal priesthood. And so what does it mean that you and I have become royal? Well, here's what it means. That that because we have been born again, we have been adopted by God into his family. And because we've been adopted by God, we have been made heavenly royalty and co-heirs of all things with Jesus Christ. Sound too good to be true? Maybe you're thinking you got a verse for that? Absolutely. Romans, Romans chapter 8 up on the screen. Look what Paul says. He says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So yes, We will suffer in this life. It is a guarantee. And yes, we will be persecuted also in this life. It is a guarantee. But here is the massive encouragement for us this morning. It's this, that one day we will also be glorified. And then for all of eternity, we will reign and rule as co-heirs with Christ And this truth right here is so glorious and so beautiful that the four living creatures and the 24 elders that are around God's throne, they sing about this. They sing about what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Revelation chapter 5 up on the screen. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Consider this also. Consider what Jesus says to his church in Revelation chapter 3. Look what he says up on the screen. He says, the one who conquers... So the one who has been born again, the one who perseveres to the end, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is incomprehensible. This is unimaginable. But it's true. It's true. This 
is who you are. You are heavenly royalty. Earthly royalty, earthly rulers, they'll come and go. Presidents will come and go. Prime ministers, they'll come and go. Earthly leaders on every level, they will come and they will go. But you, loved one, are heavenly royalty. And you will reign and rule with Jesus Christ as co-heirs forever and ever and ever for the glory of God. Look what else it says. Verse 9. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal, noticed priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. So what does it mean that, that we are a priesthood? Well, firstly, it means this. It means that we have been granted access into the presence of God. That as a, a priesthood, we have been granted the privilege of entering directly into the holy presence of God, which is the single greatest privilege in the entire universe. This is what it means to be a priesthood. But then secondly, to be a royal priesthood also means that we have been called to worship God. That as priests, we've been called to worship God, and we've been called to worship God with all that we are, with, with our whole being, with our whole hearts, with, with our whole lives. We are to love him with our whole hearts, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the worship of a royal priesthood. And so consider it. As a royal priesthood, we have been given the greatest position the greatest privilege, and the greatest purpose in the universe. Up on the screen, as a royal priesthood, you have been given the greatest position in the universe because you have been made heavenly royalty. You have been made a co-heir of all things with Jesus Christ, and you will rule with Christ forever. You have also been given the greatest privilege in the universe, which is direct access into the holy presence of the Lord God Almighty. And you've also been given the greatest purpose in the universe, which is to worship God, to worship him by loving him with all your heart and by loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the second truth that we need to get into our hearts up on the screen. You and I, we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. But that's not all that God has to say about who you are. There's two more huge truths coming. Here's the third one about who you are. It's this. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. Look again with me at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And when Peter uses this term, holy nation, again, he's referring back to the Old Testament and back to Exodus 19 up on the screen. God says to his people, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And by referring back to Exodus in this way, Peter is now saying that we as God's new covenant people in Jesus Christ, we have now become, we are a holy nation. Not just a nation, but a holy nation. So what does it mean that we are holy? Well, it means these three things up on the screen. First, it means this, that you have been set apart by God to be in relationship with him. 
That's the first thing it means to be holy. You have been set apart by God to be in relationship with God. That's the first thing it means to be holy. Second, it means that you have been justified by God. You have been justified by God, which means this, that the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, all, all of your sin was transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid it all. He paid for all of it through his sufferings. But not only that, but his 33 years of perfect obedience was then credited to your account as though you have done it. This is what it means to be justified. Or we can think of it like this. Justified, it means just as though. Justified means just as though. If you are justified, it means that God now sees you just as though you have never sinned because all of your sin was paid for on the cross. It also means that God sees you just as though you have always perfectly obeyed him because the obedience of Jesus Christ has been credited to your account. This is what it means to be justified. This is the, what it means to be holy as well. And now the third, the third thing it means to be holy is this, that you've been called to live a holy life. You've been called to live a holy life, which means that you've been called to live a life where you are loving God with all that you are and you are loving your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to be holy. You have been set apart for relationship. You have been justified and you have been called to live a holy life and you are not the only one. You're not alone because you are part of a holy nation. You are part of a whole nation of people from all nations who have all been set apart for relationship, who have all been justified, and who have all been called to live a holy life with you. This is the third truth about who you are that we need to get into our hearts up on the screen this morning. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. And then lastly, the fourth truth about who you are is this that you are a people for his own possession. You are a people for his own possession. Look again now at verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And by using that term, a people for his own possession, Peter again is referring back to the Old Testament and back to Exodus chapter 19 up on the screen. God says to his people, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And by referring back to Exodus, Peter is saying that we as God's new covenant people in Jesus Christ, we have now become God's treasured possession. This is who you are. You are God's treasured possession. Consider it. God owns everything. God owns all possessions. God owns every single beautiful beachfront property in the world. He owns everything. He owns every planet. He owns every galaxy. He owns every star. He owns everything. And yet, he only has one treasured possession. What is it? It's us. It's us. It's you. You are God's most treasured possession. Why? Because you are his child. And because he has chosen to set his perfect love upon you. This is the fourth truth we need to get into our hearts up on the screen. You are God's own possession. You are God's 
treasured possession. So again, four truths about who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. You are a chosen race who God has caused to be born again. You are a royal priesthood, a co-heir of all things with Jesus Christ. You are a holy nation set apart for relationship, justified, and called to live a holy life. And as one of God's children, you are his treasured possession. This is who you are. This is who you are. And these truths right here about who we are will absolutely transform our hearts and lives if, if we review them and if we believe them. These truths right here will fill us with confidence and fill us with courage and fill us with gratitude and fill us with love for God if we will review them and if we will believe them. So I encourage you this week, memorize verse 9. Memorize verse 9. I encourage you this week, memorize verse 9 and review what it means over and over and over and over again when you're driving, when you're out walking, when you're riding your bike, when you're at home, when you're praying. Grab hold of the truth of who you are. Grab hold of the truth of who you are and, and stop listening to who other people say you are and stop listening to who the enemy says you are and even stop listening to who you say you are. And let's start listening to who God says we are. This is who you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. This is the first truth that will always remain the same for us, that we need to be rooted in. It's the truth of who we are. It's the truth of who you are. That leads us to our second truth also that will never, ever change, that we must also be rooted in, which is this, the truth about why I'm here. Up on the screen. I must be rooted in the truth about why I'm here. Look again with me now at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that... That, here's why, you may proclaim the excellencies of him. This is why we've been made a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people for his own possession. It's so that we would proclaim the excellencies of him. This is why we're here. This is why we're here. To proclaim the excellencies of him. So question, if the reason why we're here is to proclaim the excellencies of God then what are the excellencies of God and how do we proclaim them? Well, let's look at that first question. What are the excellencies of God? Well, that term here, the excellencies of God, it actually refers to the excellencies of his deeds, the excellencies of his works, and ultimately this, the excellencies of the salvation that he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's, it, these are the excellencies of God that we are to proclaim and we are to proclaim them in two ways. Here's the first way up on the screen. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God with our words. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God with our words. With our words. Look again at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, notice, who called you out of darkness. This is the first thing, the first excellency we are to proclaim with our words, that he called us out of darkness. 
It's like a parent who hears their child screaming in the middle of the night and, and they run into their room and they open the door and they call their child by name and they call them out of the darkness of a nightmare. In the same way, God has come to us and he's called us by name and he's called us out of the deepest darkness that there is, which is the darkness of sin and death and eternal destruction. But that's not all that he has done. Look again at verse 9. Notice, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So God called us out of darkness, but then he just didn't stop there. He then called us into his marvelous light. It's like someone who walks out of complete darkness and then right into the blinding light of the sun. Likewise, God called us out of the darkness of sin and death into the marvelous light of the glory of Jesus Christ and the gospel, into the marvelous light of his presence and the marvelous light of his love and the marvelous light of his grace and the marvelous light of his mercy and the marvelous light of the privilege of becoming one of God's own people. Peter puts it this way in verse 10. Have a look now at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We, we have received mercy. Once we were children of wrath. Once we were enemies of God, once we were on the wide road to destruction because of our sin, but then God showed us mercy by not giving us what we deserve, but transferring what we deserve to Jesus Christ on the cross. And why has he shown us such mercy? Here's why, here's why. So that we would proclaim with our words that he is the God who calls people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is why we're here. And the first way that we, we do that, the first way that we proclaim the excellencies of God is with our words up on the screen, which means that we need to be prepared to share the gospel with our words. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared to share the gospel with our words. And that doesn't mean that we need to share the gospel in some super fancy, complicated way. But, he, but if we he could just share maybe even a couple of verses, like Romans 3.23 that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or, or Romans 2, 5, that because of our sin, we're storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of God's judgment. Or of course, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready to share the gospel with our, with our words. But then secondly, we also need to be prepared to share our testimony with our words, to share our story with our words. That, that this is where I was. I was walking in darkness, but, then, but then, then God revealed himself to me, and I heard the gospel, and I believed, and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and he completely turned everything around. We need to be ready to share the gospel and to share our testimony with our words. And I just want to be honest with you that this is something that I really want to grow in. I really want to grow in both seeking opportunities and then grabbing hold of those opportunities when they present themselves. This is something that I really want to grow in. This is something I need to grow in. How about you? Let me ask you, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time that you shared your testimony with somebody? 
Ask yourself this. Who is God calling me to share my testimony with? Who is God calling me to share my testimony with? Is it, is it certain family members? Is it maybe certain people at work, certain coworkers? Is it friends? Is it my neighbors? And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. We need to be prepared to share the gospel with our words. We need to be prepared to share our testimony with our words. And then this, we must be prepared to introduce people to Jesus Christ. To actually say to people, do you want to know this God who calls people out of darkness into his marvelous light? Would you like to know Jesus Christ? And maybe, maybe that's you right now. Maybe right now God is calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Maybe the spirit of God is stirring in you right now a desire to repent of your sin and to be reconciled to God, and maybe stirring a desire to have a relationship with him and to know him. What must you do? Here's what you must do. You must believe. You must place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he came for you, that he died for you, that he took your sin upon himself on that cross, and he made full payment for your sin so that you could be reconciled to God. If you would believe today that he is the son of God who died for you and rose from the grave. This is the first way that we proclaim the excellencies of God. It's with our words. But then there's a second way, a second way that we are to proclaim the excellencies of God as well. And it's this upon the screen. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God with our works. With our works. Have a look now at verse 11. Verse 11. Peter continues. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So notice first, there is a war that is being waged against us. There's a war being waged against us. Look again at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So consider what God is saying to us right now. First, he's saying that we are, we are sojourners and exiles, meaning that we are no longer citizens of this world. Now we are citizens of heaven, and we are now passing through this world on our way to eternity to be with God forever. And the reason why we're still here today is to proclaim his excellencies to those who are around us. This is why we're here that's the first thing he's saying, that we are sojourners. We are exiles here to proclaim the excellencies of God. Now, here's the second thing he's saying. It's this, that proclaiming those excellencies will not be easy. That proclaiming those excellencies, are going, it's going to be really, really difficult because it's going to be violently opposed. So much so that God describes the opposition as a war being waged against us. And it's not a war being waged against us from the outside. It's a war being waged against us from the inside by the flesh, by the sin in us. And here's what the flesh wants. It wants to deceive us into living for selfish and idolatrous desires instead of living to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so how then do we fight this war? And how do we abstain from the passions of the flesh? Well, here's how. By walking closely with God. 
by walking closely with God. This is how we abstain from the passions of the flesh, by walking closely with God. Because when we walk closely with God, here's what he does. He fills our hearts with love for him, and he fills our hearts with his desires that then overpower the desires of the flesh. This is what he does. As we walk closely with God, he fills our hearts with love for him, and he fills our hearts with his desires that then overpower the desires of the flesh. There's just simply no other way to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We must walk closely with God through repentance, by turning away from sin and turning back to God, through prayer, by seeking the face of God and speaking to God frequently, and through faith, by taking God at his word. There is no other way to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We must walk closely with God through repentance, through prayer, and by believing his word. And what does God want us to believe today? Here's what he wants us to believe today. First, he wants us to believe who we are, that we are a chosen race, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, and that we are a treasured possession. We are his treasured possession He wants us also to believe what he's done, that that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that he's made us the recipient of unimaginable mercy. And he wants us to know why we're here, which is to proclaim his excellencies with our words and our works. And as we believe and we believe and we believe, then this becomes the very thing that we want to do. This this becomes our passion to proclaim the excellencies of God with our words and with our works. And so what's the big deal about our works? Why are our works so important? Well, look at verse 12. Verse 12. Peter says, Keep your conduct, notice, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, notice he doesn't say if, if they speak against you as evildoers, he says when they speak against you as evildoers. In other words, if you are a Christian and other people know you are a Christian, then it's just a matter of time before unbelievers start to call you evil. And here's why. Here's why. Because the darkness of this world hates the light of Jesus Christ. Therefore, this world will always seek to discredit and vilify and portray the church as evil because the light of the truth of God stands in contrast to the darkness of the wisdom of this world. So knowing this, knowing this then, How should we then live? Well, notice what Peter says in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Have you ever taken a big bucket of water and poured it out over a raging fire? Have you ever done that? Maybe maybe you've done that this summer. Taking a big bucket of water and you, you have this huge fire and you pour it out over the fire, what happens? The fire goes out. There's smoke everywhere. In the same way, our good works are to be so abundant and so well known in our community that when our accusers come and they make false accusations against us, our record of good works is to pour out over those accusations like water on a fire, putting them out and bringing them to nothing. God wants to use our good works to extinguish the fire of false accusations. But not only that, God also wants to use our good works to do this, to point our accusers to himself. Look again at verse 12. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that 
when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And that phrase here, the day of visitation, most likely means the day that God chooses to save our accusers. It's the day that God calls our accusers out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. So here's what Peter's saying. That not only will our good works act to put out the fire of false accusations, but when our accusers actually examine our good works close up, they will be confused. And they will be amazed. And they will say there must be a God and he must be in those people. This is how our good works point to and proclaim the excellencies of God. Because God's transforming work in us is displayed by the good works flowing from us. God's transforming work in us is displayed by the good works flowing from us. What God has done in us is proclaimed by what comes from us. And when our accusers see us loving our families like crazy and loving one another like crazy and walking alongside people who are hurting and ministering to the marginalized and visiting the sick and encouraging those without hope and we're doing it all in Jesus' name, then all of that good fruit points back to the one who is producing the fruit who is God in us. And on that day, when God chooses to visit those who are opposing us and he calls them out of darkness into his marvelous light, then they will thank God and they will glorify God uh, and they will thank him for using our good works to point them to him. And as I've been examining my own heart and my own life over this summer, I was on sabbatical. Um, Here's what the Lord has shown me that the Holy Spirit has put good works on my heart to do and I haven't been walking in them as I should. There are ways that God has been calling me to love my neighbors as myself and I haven't been walking in it. And as unpleasant as it is to experience that conviction, it is a good thing. It's such a good thing because blindness begins to be removed and sin begins to be exposed and the sin of selfishness and the sin of indifference which praise the Lord is leading to repentance. So how about you? Is the way that you are interacting with your family or the way you are interacting with brothers and sisters in our church or the way you are interacting with your neighbors or with the hurting, or with the marginalized? Is it proclaiming the excellencies of God to a watching world? Or let me ask you this. How is the Lord specifically calling you to proclaim his excellencies with your good works? I would encourage you to pray about that this week. How is the Lord specifically calling you to proclaim his excellencies with your good works because this is why he has made us who we are. He has made us who we are so that we would proclaim the excellencies of who he is through our words, through our words, by proclaiming the gospel, by sharing our testimony, but also with our works.